All right, so let's, uh, let's begin. First um, Samuel chapter 22. We're going to try to cover 22 and 23 today. Because ideally we would be done with First Samuel by um, the end of the year, which I think we have four more times with ourselves to finish. Um, the little handout here, I'm just going to... Okay, so before, we, before the handout. So... Um, just review, David is on the run, King Saul wants to kill him, he, uh, he goes to Nob, which I, um, is somewhere, if you look on the uh, map, and I know this is high quality copying I did here, so. Um, Nob is right above Bethlehem. Kind of by Gibeah and Ramah and uh, Jebus. Um, so that's where Nob is. You know, I mean, because I mean, uh, most of uh, you guys have been to the Holy Lands. I have not, um, but I think even for like the Holy Land tour, you don't go to Nob. Oh, you didn't go to Nob. Okay, so. Um, <laughs> so anyways, there's. There's towns on here you might recognize, like Bethlehem. Um, well, yeah, I mean, hopefully Hebron, maybe, Carmel, Shechem. I don't know. All right. Well, Masada, that's usually on the old list. Masada, in fact, actually kind of makes today's reading because the stronghold that David is in Nobody knows exactly kind of where that is, so Masada has a long history as being a stronghold, so that's a possible, because it's in um, Judah. All right. Okay, so David flees Saul. Saul is trying to kill him. Uh, David goes to Gath. That's at the end of this last chapter, chapter 21, with Pastor Bukes. Gath, of course, is where, uh, you know, the Philistines are. So, you know, generally speaking, not a Nice place. That's uh, I believe this is uh, you know where David goes crazy, right? Acts insane. Now that's a that's a contrast because today we'll find out so, who someone else who goes berserk in the technical sense of the term. You guys know what berserk means, right? Nobody. I don't. Do they ever use that in the Game of Thrones? That term berserk. It's a Viking term. You go like go crazy in war, and you just start killing everybody. Okay, well, never mind. Uh, David goes insane; people live. Saul goes insane; people die. So you're always having this contrast, and that's something you want to keep in the back of your mind over these next uh, couple of ch- well, a few chapters. Um, actually, to chapter twenty-eight, so several chapters. Is that? We're still, we're still along this line of, remember, what did the people want in Saul? They wanted a king like other nations or other peoples, All right? So um, it's not so much that they had a king as that they had a king like other nations. And David, of course, is this king that's not like other nations. David is a king after God's own heart. So um, you want to keep that in, in, in mind here, is how is, is um, 
Saul keeping his power, and how is David actually gaining power? And there's, there's really kind of this interesting compare and contrast happening. So we'll kind of keep that in mind. All right, great. So David's on the run. He, he, uh, you know, he leaves Nab, goes to Gath, and then he goes to the cave of Adullam. Now, I don't think that's on the map. Oh, yeah, it is. That's right. There it is. There's so many red dots on this one. Okay, so there you go. Um, it's, it's over there. Okay. Do you see that where Adullam is by Gath? Great. Remember, we have maps in the back of our Bible so that you can ignore them. No, it's for these for reasons. We got these maps in the Bible. You never use them, and then, then you're like, oh, wait, it's so enlightening. I'm so glad I have these maps in the back. All right, so uh, chapter 22, uh, we're just going to read this, these first uh, six or five verses. Yeah, five verses. David departed from there, that's, he departed from Gath, and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, and he became captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. David went from there to Mizbeh of Moab, which is not close to where, right? You see where that's on the map? On the back, on the bottom there, bottom right-hand corner? Okay, um, and he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, do not remain in the stronghold, depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Harath, which is on the map again. Excellent. Okay, um, so... Now we have a, a, a very interesting picture that David is gathering his forces. This is more of a military picture than kind of a kingdom picture. But what kind of people are these? And who does that sound like? Who's, yeah, who, who, who are the type of people that are gathering around David right now? That's right. Yeah. You have all these people who, 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 yeah, now the thing is, though, why would they go to David when they have Saul as their king? So there's a spiritual side of this and more of a, you know, soap opera type of Game of Thrones kind of reason. Why are they smart? What makes them smart? What's that? It's a human way or otherwise. Well, I mean, they know... Saul's reputation. Yeah, right. Uh, it's also a very selfish person. He's probably not going to do that. Well, well why, why do you think they are in distress, in debt, and bitter in soul? Yeah, they're, they're probably because, remember what Saul, remember Samuel said to Saul, or, uh, to the people, what is Saul going to do? He's going to take your land, he's going to take your money, and he's going to take your best people. How many, how many pe- kinds of people are here? Distress, debt, and bitter in soul. And so you got, you got what you get, right? So now, yeah, these people are smart because they don't want to be under Saul anymore. 
That's more the Game of Thrones idea. Hey, can't get any worse than this. We're going to put our lot in with David. Of course now, David has a reputation that's preceding him. I mean, he, he, the big one was he killed Goliath, but um, he also was able to flee uh, Gath. And um, well, and we'll see some more coming up here in a little bit. But um, yeah, so David's he's getting a reputation. Um, because I think it's in Gath, actually. Yeah, oh yeah, right. Verse 11 and, and 21. The servants of Achish, what do they say of David? He's the king of the land. Well, how would they know that? Who, who doesn't know that David is the king of the land? Well, Saul doesn't accept it. But most of Israel does not know that. So now you have a foreign group who already knows that David is the king of the land. Now, whether they were privy somehow to the uh, anointing by Samuel, or they just simply said, hey, the king just, you know, wasted Goliath. That, you know, um, Saul king th- uh, killed thousands, David ki- killed tens, tens of thousands, right? Yeah. Um, they, they, already, they already are making sense of the situation. So you have a bunch of people who by reputation, are figuring out that David is already the king, even though he is not technically, officially, legally the king. So, yeah, of course, though, who gets it first? The least, the lost, the marginalized. Which, of course, on the spiritual sense, sounds like Jesus. So Jesus is uh, he's the one who gathers all the people who are broken down, diseased, downtrodden. And so you have, again, you have this whole interesting picture that Saul is, is purely a carnal kingdom. And David, the only way that he's going to get power is by, by how? Not by his powerful men, but by the power of God. All right, so this kingdom that David is raising even though he is a king and it will be a king in the legal, political sense, God is still the power behind what's going on. All right. So that, that's, that's very important. Oh, and um, also, too, he, he sends his family to Moab. It's a foreign king. So he's, um, David's crafty because that's completely outside the, the realm of Saul. So if Saul goes into Moab, he's going to have a war on his hands. So David is already making alliances. I mean, he's a... Not David, he's a smart guy. Okay, now so now we have this king who's bringing all these people. Love him, 400. Uh, does anyone know about the Greek... Um, Sparta, right? He takes on the Phoenician army, not with 400, but with 300. They made a movie about this. Yeah. That number, 400, 300, there's 300 is used in another spot of the Old Testament. I forgot to look that up. But um, this number is not only literal, but it's also symbolic. It's the fact that he only has 400 men, and he's, he's going to be taking on, four, like, 
to army. Again, the only way he can succeed is if God is with him. All right, now, great. Okay, so now Saul, the, the king, comes back into the picture, and, um, you know, some great things happen. So he goes to Nob. Well, he knows about Nob because of this Edomite, Doeg. I think that's how you say his name, or Doeg, or Doug, I don't know. Um, but, you know, Saul is a, uh, he's a very paranoid man. Oh, I'm sorry. Packet. So we all like to tell stories, right? And Samuel is a very, I mean, this is like keeps me on the edge of my seat all the time. So you have a, you have an example, though, from the ancient Near East um, of a, ki- a future king on the run. Which also sounds like Lord of the Rings. Right? Aragon is the king, but he doesn't really want to be king. He has to kind of be put into this position. Uh, you know, and he's on the run, obviously, right? He, it's not until the end where he kind of claims his kingship. But, um, you know, it creates an exciting story, of course. So... Um, we got a little picture here, the statue of King Idarim of Alaka. I have no idea how to say that. They, they are, um, oh, I forgot to look to see if this was at the University of Chicago. Um, but uh, anyways, so the, this would have been um, kind of the peoples around Israel at this time. So... I think that's kind of interesting. Oh, and my favorite part is, um, when. The, okay, so David knows what to do, where to go, because the prophets, this guy, he knows what to do and where to go because of the oracle signs, which are the entrails of sheep and the flight direction of released birds. Now, we already saw that, though, in Samuel, right? What, what group of people you'd like to use animals to tell whether God is telling them something? Do you remember the story? Yeah, the cows. The nursing mothers, cows. Uh, the Philistines are like, Dagon has been, uh, um, he's been defeated by Yahweh in the Ark of the Covenant. And they're like, oh, I don't know. Is this coincidence or is God really involved with this? So, oh, if the nursing cows take the Ark to Israel and don't stay with their calves, we know that God's in control. So what happens they go to Israel, and the Israel, uh, Philistines know, oh, Yahweh is actually involved with this, and there's no chance of us defeating them. So um, the, I just I wanted to show you that list, little, little statue is that, I mean, this is, they, people did this. They, they read into these um, signs. In fact, not to get too much of a tangent here, but um, there are certain texts in the Bible, especially in Jeremiah, where... God will um, uh, put in people's hearts His presence. You'll you'll, uh, you'll, you'll like turn to your hearts or something like that. Well, we understand it as kind of emotive sense or like our heart is like who we are as people. Well, when Jeremiah writes that, he's actually telling you to read the heart, like other people read the entrails. So it's actually an oracle. So it's kind of, that's kind of interesting. But you don't, you don't, you don't kill yourself or sacrifice. It's, it's the fact that, you, yeah. 
All right. I thought that was, I think that's kind of interesting. Maybe not. Maybe that's a trivia when you get to Bible, Bible trivia. You'll be able to know that. All right, great. Okay, so Nob, okay, so Saul goes to Nob, and he's got his spear. Uh, of course, what did David not have when he went to Nob? He didn't have anything. Remember, he had to ask for the sword of Goliath. So again, David shows up completely defenseless. Saul comes in full regalia with weapons. All right, again, this is a very dramatic picture. Um, and the tamarisk tree, again, is uh, there's a picture of the tamarisk tree down there. It's not a real big tree, but it was used for a variety of inappropriate reasons for telling, you know, for like uh, healings and for prophecies. So the fact that he's under that kind of raises concerns. I'm not sure if that's actually completely true or not, or if that's just a um, uh, people met under trees. We see this also, too, in the Old Testament. Deborah, she met under the palm tree. Uh, Abraham in the Oaks of Mamre, and of course in the New Testament, most likely Nathaniel is praying under a tree. So, anyways, I never knew what a tamarisk tree looks like, so that's why I included a picture. How do you? What is tamarisk? Does anybody know? Is it like a spice or something, or just a special kind of wood? I don't know. That's what I'm asking you. I, I think they make tambourines from that, probably. That's probably true. It's very musical. It's, uh, it's an unusual tree. Okay, well, there you go. That's enough of that. Um, all right, so, so Saul comes in here, and um, he's... I mean, he's upset, right? He just he starts accusing right from the get-go. Um, and it, no one's... So, so if you look at verse 8, the middle of verse 8, none of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as, as at this day. Right? So he's like, you guys are all against me. And then, of course, Doag, the Edomite, is like, hey, I'm going to use this. I'm going to use this. And he stands up and he's like, actually. So he, he says in verse 9, um, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Now, most of that's true, but not all of it. All right. Based on Doag, it sounds like um, Ahimelech is like really supportive of David, but that's not actually what happened, right? David comes, he's like, we're starving, can I have any bread? And he's like, well, all I got is this, I guess. The way Doag tells it is like, hey, I got all my best stuff, I'm going to help you. Um, and then also, too, did he really inquire of the Lord for David? Yeah. Not really. Okay, but he did give the sword of Goliath. The Philistine. So, you know, like I said, some of that's true, um, but some of that is really just Doag is really looking out for himself and trying to leverage this information for his gain. And that actually goes to the packet, too. That, I think it's the last page. Oh, yeah. Um, 
people kept track of this stuff. So if that top image, you have a the tablet granting restoration of land by King Nabu Apala Edina, 9th century BC. So you have the king on the right, and he's giving land to someone. Most likely, this is a, a response, a favor, given in favor. So Doag basically is leveraging this. He's going to get something out of this, or he thinks he, he thinks he will. But um, this is very common. I mean, so common that people, uh, you know, recorded these kind of transactions. So Doag is up to no good. So he's an evil guy. So if I was making a movie, who are like famous bad guys, actors? I mean, you just like think about famous bad guy actors, and Doag would be that guy. All right? It's not like Tom Hanks. What's that? He would be a good one. Yeah, like Vincent Price would be a good one. Okay. So the king, okay, so the king gets Ahimelech, Ahimelech to come, and he, he says here, you know, there's no, there's no discussion going on here, right? He just, he, he, he believes Doag. Now, why, that's also interesting, too. Do, Doag is an Edomite. By nature, foreigners are untrustworthy. They're not trustworthy, but for Saul, he is feeding exactly what Saul wants to hear, that David is up to no good, and that everyone is, in fact, against him, except for me, Doag, the Edomite. Okay, so again, we're, this image of this crazy king who's so paranoid and so self-centered is just the, the image is ratcheting up. All right. So he, he accuses him in verse 12. Here I am, my lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse? and that you have given him bread, a sword, and have acquired of God for him, so that he has risen against me to lie in wait at, as at this day. That's not true. David is not doing any of that. So Ahimelech uh, answers, and he basically says to him, what are you talking about? And who among all your servants is so faithful as David? So is that, that's a true statement, right? David has always been faithful to Saul. He um, has already, um, I don't know, that's coming up, uh, you know, cut the, he's, he will, he will cut, grab the spear, all that stuff. So he is faithful. Um, king's son-in-law, of course, now Ahimelech is like, what are you talking about? He's your son-in-law. That, that's supposed to be another sign that David is, is faithful. And he's captain over your bodyguard. And honored in your house. So David is, is like the top guy. Now, of course, for everybody, that means, you know, David is a faithful servant. But for Saul, he sees this as another opportunity for jealousy and, and uh, paranoia. And then, of course, Amalek says, No! Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father, for your servant has known nothing of all of this, much or little. And the king just like, You're dead. Now, when um, Saul says you're dead, he tells his, his guards to kill all these people, and what do they do? They are not going to kill him, because they know that that's sinful. First of all, 
who is, a, I mean, it's a priest of the Most High God, and the, uh, he hasn't done anything. So they basically know that Saul, okay, so now, of course, Saul is wondering, are these people really against me? And now he's basically confirmed in his paranoia. They're not going to do what I want. And, and then, of course, what happens? Doeg, he raises his finger. Then the king said to Doeg, you, you turn and strike the priests. And Doeg, the Edomite, turned and struck down the priests. And he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword, both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep, he put to the sword. Okay. He went berserk. This is like a Viking term. He left no, he nothing behind. Now, testing your memory here, where was Saul supposed to do this? That's right. Amalek. The Amalekites. Um, that is, here we go, page, or... Chapter 15 or is it 14? Is it 15 or 14? Did you say 15? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there we go. 15. So that's when the word of the Lord or comes to Samuel says, I regret making. So here we go. It's come full circle. Is that Saul, he finally eradicates someone, but who does he eradicate? His own people, and not only just his own people, a city of priests. So, um, again, we are, we are on this, like, this trajectory that is really just awful. He's finally eradicated someone, but it's his own people. Right? I mean, this story has been played out umpteen times throughout history. All right, so, of course, one escapes... Um, and then tells David everything. And David, of course, responds with regret. And he says in verse 22, And David said to Abathar, I knew on that day when Doag the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me, do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safekeeping. So David does everything he can. Now, that's actually not true, right? I mean, he... So David, though, takes accept, takes responsibility for something he did not do. What does that sound like? Jesus. A lot of the church fathers, they made, they made a heyday of all this. They're like, oh, David's acting like Jesus. Because 14 generations from now, there will be the seed of David who will rise in Bethlehem. Yes, but, um, yeah, I like that. Let's, let's go over that. So he's already interceding. Uh, which, okay, by the way, though, <clears throat> I'm trying to move along here as fast as I can. The king, already Samuel, Samuel intercedes for people as a priest, right? So the city of Nob is a city of priests who've been killed. So what happens, the priestly aspect so David actually 
accepts this position of priest and intercedes. So he actually intercedes and says, I'm the one who's guilty. Again, that's not technically true, but he actually accepts the guilt. Right? So that is the uh, substitutionary aspect. Um, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. So David should have said, I should have, I should have, should have killed that guy. But instead, I ended up killing your, 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 your village. Again, that's not true, but he took the blame anyways, and then he made it right by, what does David do in order to ensure um, Abathar's life? De facto, what does he do? He gives him his life. He who seeks your life seeks my, or my life seeks your life. You stay with me, you'll be in safekeeping. I am willing to die for you in order to keep you safe. That's what he's saying right there. All right, so, got a lot of interesting things happening in this chapter. Saul's going crazy, and David's willing to give his life for other people. So Saul is becoming pure idol, and David is becoming a king after God's own heart. All right, because idols will always sacrifice others for it to stay in power, where... God sacrifices himself in order for you to live. So that, that's compare and contrasting. So if, God, if man, David's after God's own heart, he's willing to sacrifice himself. All right, great. Now, David, of course, now comes to um, Kila. Uh, so the Philistines are always in the background. And at the end of chapter 23, we find out that the Philistines, anything that David and Saul don't agree on, they actually agree on one thing, and that is the Philistines cannot come into Israel, but for different reasons. Why does Saul not want the Philistines to come in Israel? Think about Goliath. Maybe that might be helpful. He, he, he doesn't want them to take his kingdom away. Why does David not want the Philistines to come into Israel? That's right, they don't serve the Lord. So, Again, this is so interesting because you have events that are happening where on the surface it looks like Saul and David are working together. They don't want the Philistines to come in. So David is going to fight for the city of Keilah and kick the Philistines out. And then at the end of the chapter where Saul and Saul actually catches up to David and he's like right across the valley from David. And then word comes in that the Philistines have infiltrated the land and Saul has to leave. He's not going to pursue David anymore. It's like, just as to the last second, you think that Saul's going to get David. God intervenes, and you're like, whoa, that was a close one. So you think about television shows, right? You'd be like, whoa, that's like such a great ending. Till next week, right? Okay, but, but it's, it's the Philistines that are driving the situation. In fact, uh, so this is clearly, you clearly know the difference, because what does David do First, before he, he goes to Keilah to save them, he inquires of the Lord. He seeks God's guidance. He prays. He asks, he, so in verse 2, Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack the Philistines? And he, he does it kind of more than once. 
verse 4, he does it again. And so he really inquires that he wants to make sure that he's doing what God wants him to do. So no good deed goes unpunished um, because what's going to happen? David, after he saves him, he wonders if Keilah is going to give him up to Saul. And God says, yep. So that's in verse uh, 10 here. David, okay, so he brings the ephod. Again, the ephod is for who? Priests. And so again, he's interceding. He's acting. You You have a king. He's acting like a king, a priest, and sort of like a prophet, remember? So remember, Samuel was the prophet, priest, and judge, not king. And David is getting very close to prophet, priest, and king, who, of course, he's a foreshadowing of, of Christ himself, who was prophet, priest, and king. All right, so verse 10. Then, then said David, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down, as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come. And then David asks again, hey, will they give me up? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. All right, now there's a big change in here. In verse 13, then David with his men, who were about 600. How many were they earlier? 400. So things are, he's gathering more. And, and based on the places he's been, he's, he's gathering more misfits. I mean, these are people with pitchforks, not swords. So it's a kind of a, really a ragtag. Now, of course, uh, you know, I think in movies again, I mean, this is like classic William Wallace, Braveheart. You guys remember that movie by chance? It's 20-some years ago, 1995, I think it came out. Um, Wait, is that, that's 20-some years ago, right? Not more. 20 years ago. Yeah, it's about 25 years ago or so. Close enough. So he gathers all these people, right? And they're all like, they got to take on the uh, William the Longshanks. And they're like, we, we can't do any of this. And he rallies them, right? And they, strategery, they, that's how they win. So, um, okay, well, anyway, it's the same sort of image is that David is really gathering this ragtag group of people. Okay, um, verse 13. Then David and his men, who are about 600, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph, which is in the map. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. So this is kind of an ironic thing, is that David retreats, and people are saved. So David, I mean, this is, so usually you retreat and you lose something. David retreats and he, and he gains people. All right, so um, Saul, now, thank goodness Saul gives up the expedition. I mean, that, that's the point, is that if David were to stay there and try to fight or somehow get get Saul involved, all these people would be dead. I mean, that's the irony, is that Keilah thinks, 
hey, if we give up David, we'll be spared. Uh, I mean, probably not, because David will try to fight, and everyone will be eradicated. Because remember, Saul is he's crazy, so he's, he's into eradicating people. So the fact that Saul or uh, David left is a sign of life-giving. The, um, the one thing, just too, is you look on the old packet again, is uh, another image on the bottom there. I forgot to show that to you. That is an image of a battle. It was very common for people to be completely slaughtered. And what best way to remember that is by making a stone relief of it. Yeah, I, I always think about these things, and same with like Egyptian hieroglyphics. But th- this is, again, from the area around Israel. Um, you see that people are being clubbed on the head right there, kind of in the middle, and he's fallen into a pit. People got a bow and arrow right to the brain there, too. Very warm and fuzzy. Now, it's actually interesting because I think about this in terms of when um, the uh, when Jesus at Christmas and Isaiah, when the prophecy is that Christ will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And that is, um, what that means is to telling the stories. Fathers will tell their children's stories. And what kind of stories are they going to tell? So here we have an example. Fathers will tell the stories of how, hey, our king was great because he murdered everybody. I mean, they wouldn't say it that way. It'd be he's such a you know, one victory. Um, so in the Gospels, in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, this is also true. Fathers will tell their children of the great victory of Yahweh, the Lord God. But how does this happen? It's fundamentally different. It's very different. So um, it's part of Passover already. Um, does anyone know, I mean, how the Passover meal... You guys remember the Passover, right? Okay, they take a lamb, they slaughter it, put the blood on the, the, the doorposts and the lintel. And, um, but the meal itself, how does the liturgy move along in the Passover? Someone? Yeah, the children ask their fathers, what makes this night different than all other nights? They ask that the children answer the father's question. Yeah, so... It's so interesting. Yeah, but of course they have to be told that. Thank you, Carol. Is that um, the children will answer this question, what makes this night different? And the only way they can answer that is if the fathers teach them. So the prophecy that uh, um, Jesus will come and turn the hearts to the fathers is, is related to this Passover meal, to the victory. So how, how, does, how does God win? Well, through a meal, right? The Passover meal. This meal, this enactment that they're doing is the victory that God has won us. Now, of course, in the meal itself, right, you have a sacrifice of the lamb, you have the blood, and of course you have the power of God going over Egypt. So the same thing is told now is that the the victory, how we tell our children is that God shows his victory not by annihilating and eradicating people, but by dying. The victory over death. That's been in our preface. Um, you destroyed death by dying. The power of death. We, we pray that at every funeral, too. But, um, so, 
So again, you have this whole scenario of retelling these stories. And as you retell the history of David and Saul, this is the template in which you're telling this, is this Passover image. Is that the king, after God's own heart, will um, give up himself rather than eradicate people. Now it gets a little complicated, right? Because there is, there's, the Amalekites is a great example. Amalekites, though, it's not primarily about people, but primarily about idol worship. And that doesn't necessarily soften it. It just puts it in perspective. Is that God cannot tolerate idol worship. He cannot tolerate adultery with other gods because he's a jealous God. So, um, and that's why he, you know, he doesn't allow intermarriages because when you marry, you're bowing to the foreign idols. So it gets a little complicated in our kind of modern perspective, but the emphasis is not so much on the eradication of people, but God intervening for others. That is the main emphasis. I know that was a lot of gobbledygook there, but it's good. It's good. All right. Any questions so far? Because then we're going to finish up here real quick. All right, Saul pursues David, verse 15 in chapter 23. This is um, um, a great, great thing because who comes back into the scene? This will be the second to last time we see him. Jonathan. Yay. It's nice to see Jonathan again. He comes in just like a good friend and says, oh, the big thing here is... Um, Verse 17. Okay, so Jonathan comes in. We'll start at verse 16. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horash, which I think is on the map. Oh, maybe it's not. Well, it's somewhere in there. Close enough. And strengthened his hand in God. So he went to David and strengthened his hand in God. So, of course, Jonathan comes, friends come, and they're life-giving. They strengthen him. In God, so friends are always about discipleship. Remember this from several weeks ago? Becoming friends is part of our discipleship. Friends help us in holiness. Okay. Um, And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. There it is. Now we know for sure. Saul is, he's, 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 he knows exactly what's going to happen, but he's in complete denial. So again, this, this irrationality, he is going to fight God, basically. So it's no longer between him and David, it's between him and God. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horash, and Jonathan went home. So again, best friends made their covenant they um, continued their um, allegiance to one another. All right. So, more of the same. They're, they're um, chasing each other. And then, um, if you, well, I already mentioned this. So, if you jump all the way down to verse 26. Actually, is the wilderness of Maon in here? Yes. Okay. The desert of Maon by Masada and Beersheba. Oh, and I had the picture of Masada there, which is really awful. But 
can kind of make it out, I guess. The reason why I just show that is because um, you see how the stronghold is. It's kind of in the middle of that picture, but there's a deep valley. They're trying to figure out where in the world Saul and David could be, where they could be on other side of the valleys and seeing each other and uh, you know, have a place to kind of camp of an army. Well, maybe Masada was it. Maybe, maybe not, but it gives you the picture. They're close. They know they can. All right. So um, in the wilderness of Maon, Saul went on one side of the mountain, David on, and his men on the other side of the mountain, and David was hurrying to get away from Saul as Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. They're so close. They're about to capture them. A messenger comes to Saul saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the, against the land. Now, against the land is a little bit more specific. It sounds like pretty general. Like, where would Saul care the most? Yeah, his own land. So, most likely, if you turn back, it's probably... Uh, Gibeah, somewhere around there. So he has to race back home. See how far that is? So that's why he's like, hey, can I do this first and then go? No. Um, So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up there and lived in the strongholds of Engendi, which is not on the Oh, it is? Oh, okay, good. Yes, perfect. And actually, I forgot to include the picture there. There are, that is a real rocky place. It's really kind of interesting where um, that I always think of like Hopalong Cassidy or Roy Rogers where the bad guys go into the, like the, the hills, right? And they got like some cave in the back in the mountains. That's the kind of place that this is. It's a place where you can easily get lost. Um, I, I forgot to show a picture of that place. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an easy place to hide in. It's a hard place to find. So David goes in there. Now, great. So next week we're going to do, I think we're going to probably have to do chapters 24 and 25 if you want to read ahead. Because um, that's, next week is... May 3rd, May 10th, and May 17th. I think May 17th is our last time. So we've got three more. I think we have well, seven chapters, so we be close. Carol? You mean in the dates? You mean to the 24th? Yeah, because I think after that we can't, because I think now... Well, I'm going to be gone, I think, the following weekend. So, yeah. The, the June 3rd or whatever. Or June, whatever the next one is. You know what? I'm fine with that. Hang on. So, let's see here. Let's think very selfishly. Okay, so. The 3rd is Pastor Beeks. Oh, yeah. We can go to the 24th. It won't be me anyways. What do I care? My king, kingdom of Saul or kingdom of David right now. I can't figure out which one I want to be like. Now, I'll talk with Pastor Bukes.
Uh, the 24th, right. Yeah, and that's kind of why we were thinking that we wouldn't do it if families were heading out of 10 or not. Um, but we're, you know, we're open to it, whatever. Well, I'll ask Pastor Bukes. Yeah. I think it's pretty normal, though. I think it's normal. You know, I think it's really because it feels like Easter just happens later than normal, and the fact that it still hasn't, is it like spring yet? I don't know. The weather. Because, like, next week is going to be summer, you know? No, I know. I looked at the 10-day forecast. It's definitely not going to be summer. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. it's going to be spring for, like, we've had, a, we've had a couple days of spring so far. All right, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.